0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. Purpose built for securing active directory, Simparis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire lifecycle of a directory attack. Finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Simparis.com. Marco,
1: Sean,
2: what's going on?
1: Are you Are you feeling full?
2: Am I feeling full? Or or,
1: or, just... or filled? <laughs> or or full, fulfilled? Fulfilled. <laughs> Because I had
2: breakfast, all the above, all the above. I had breakfast, so I am full. All right, uh, fulfill. Um, I, I, I get, yeah. I get fulfilled by creating story and learning every time we do a podcast. So that that's that's my fulfillment: making yeah. people think and, and knowing that I have a role in that. Um, other people may get uh, the, the this fulfillment doing other things. What's your thing, Sean?
1: Uh, what fulfills me? Um, food. <laughs> We're back at breakfast. Back at breakfast. Yes, and <laughs> and music. Uh, no, but I've I've held individual contributor roles, of course, and then also leadership roles. And definitely, uh, being in a leadership role uh, brings fulfillment. But it's it's not easy. It's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. Uh, it, it takes work. And fortunately, I had some great uh, managers who were also mentors and gave me some good advice for how to achieve success that was defined by the company and 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 myself as well. And then most importantly, to the team, right? Because fulfillment comes when everything's going as it should and everybody's kind of marching to the same drumbeat.
2: And I see that you're connecting the word fulfillment and leadership. There so. we go. There we go. We're just there declaring is. our goal <laughs> today It's to talk about that. What it is that can fulfill you as a leader or, or, or maybe the other way around? What comes first, right? And uh, we, we have a great story here. It's connected with a book, but mostly it's connected with a person that has, I think, a lot to say about this, Sean. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Let's bring him on.
1: It's going to be fantastic. I'm thrilled to bring Scott Olson in to this conversation. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining us.
3: It's a great pleasure to be here, uh, Marco and Sean. Great to uh, spend some time with both of you and, and talk about this great thing that fascinates me. It sounds like it's going to f- fascinate all of us. So I'm thrilled to be here.
1: It's, uh, it's cool because we had uh, another guest on, Robin Dreek, who happens to be connected to you and uh, you found us through that, I suspect. And that's what I love about doing this is we get to connect with loads of folks from different areas, different walks of life. And Scott, I want to hear more about what you've been up to uh, recently and uh, yeah, just help our audience understand who you are as we prepare to dig into fulfillment and leadership
3: yeah sure so uh great that you mentioned my old friend uh, Robin Dreek. we were uh, we were both counterintelligence uh, special agents for the FBI um, starting in the in the mid 1990s in uh, in Manhattan um, uh, came up the the FBI together. Um, I uh, became an assistant special agent in charge. Um, he moved over to the uh, behavioral analysis unit. Um, we worked together off and on for a lot of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, 21 years for me in the FBI, including everything from being on the ground for nine 11 in, uh, in Manhattan, um, sort of watching that first building collapse from a block away and, and being one of the people that had to run out of the dust cloud, um, to, you know, being down at headquarters a few years later and, and being involved in reworking. Uh, this huge government agency from a pure law enforcement organization into an intelligence organization, getting assigned to be an uh, assistant special agent in charge in New York of intelligence to implement that process uh, uh, into the New York field office. Um, a few years went by, I was looking for something more interesting, and I became the uh, legal attache in Baghdad, Iraq. So I lived in the Middle East when. Al Qaeda in Iraq was becoming what we know as ISIS today. Fascinating, fascinating time to be involved in the intelligence world, the international world, and really um, discovering that what I love and what matters to me is is people and how people interact cross culturally um, uh, through you know, diverse groups, what really, really matters is the people. And, and my last assignment when I got back from the Middle East was in a human resources hotshot group called the leadership development program, where I built the FBI's, um, leadership development program. It's the, the process the FBI uses today to identify their high potential individual contributors and to get the right people into that leadership development pipeline. I also, um, built and implemented the leadership evaluation process for senior executives at that time. Um, and as I retired from the Bureau in 2017 and um, founded Glenhaven International, and my consulting firm, and started working with other partners on a variety of things, I realized that the reach back for me really went back to when I was a teenager. Um, growing up, in Seattle, um, doing a lot of hiking and climbing as a boy scout and getting my very first job uh, at age 15 as a climbing guide on Mount Rainier. Um, And when you're you're 15 and you're a rope leader and you've got a 17 year old attached to the rope and you're familiar being on a glacier because you've been there all summer and he's scared but he doesn't wanna be scared in front of a 15 year old. How do you inspire that person to step across a crevasse? that's leadership. Getting It's a leadership question. Getting a person to do something that they're scared to do or they don't want to do, but they really need to do. And all you have is your voice. Um, that was really the beginning of it for me, which led me to be an attorney, a prosecutor for a number of years, um, led me into the counterintelligence world, and then, then led me today. So what I'm bringing today is and it sounds strange, but it's, it's 45 years of just thinking about how do you interact with another person and unlock that person and help them see their potential and get them aligned with the rest of the team so the entire team is moving in the same direction because they choose to rather than because there's some outside force. And I hope that's not too esoteric, but... High-performance teams perform because they choose to. And there are a lot of things that a, a leader, the person in that leading position needs to do. Um, but, you know, you talk about being fulfilled and that really is the key for me. And, and what I see in the leadership world today is so many people think that to be a leader, you either have to be a jerk or you have to be a servant or you have to sacrifice. And if you look at the best leaders in the world, leaders who know how to lead, they know what to do, and they know how to make the people around them succeed by putting them where they're strong. The best leaders are fulfilled. They love to lead because they are setting everybody up around them to succeed. And there are very specific things that great leaders do that allow them to produce that result. But it really is about getting up every morning and going, you know what, we, we are going to run over the competition today. We are going to climb this mountain today because we feel so good. It's not about having fun. It's it's about it's about fulfillment, it's about satisfaction. Fun is what you have at a party. <laughs> satisfaction is what you have in your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what fulfillment is, that deep satisfaction of yeah, this is this is what I do. You look at a coach on the sideline of any major sporting event. That coach is not upset that he or she is not in the game. They are thrilled to be on the sideline having put those athletes in the game in exactly the right place at the right time so the team wins. That's leadership, and we we need to do that in the business world, Um, and and we get tripped up. Well, Scott,
2: I'm going to stop you right there for a moment because, of course, great background, and you already made (laughs) a main point that we could just – just pick three of them and have the whole conversation here. Sorry about that. No, no, I, I love that. You make my, my job extremely easy. I want to start with actually your, your initial experience as a leader, uh, you know, being on the mountain and, and and bringing people with you and people that are going to put their safety in your hand. And it reminded me, Sean, of when we had on Alison Levine, which she is a, a mountaineer, a woman that is guided the first Everest expedition of all women on Mount Everest. She's gone all over the highest peak in the world and Antarctica and Antarctica. And her conversation was all about leadership, not as me getting a fulfillment, but getting, as you said, that fulfillment, knowing that you're bringing the team there, you can call it off if it's too risky. And your goal is to bring them back safely like from the moon back in the days, and and how in the end you gotta really take your your personal you know satisfaction away if you, that is to succeed on your own. Like you said, you 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 have success when your team succeed, and I think that's that's the key of that. What what has been on your opinion? What has really been driving your success? In doing this, since when you were 15, and in very, you know, dangerous, high-risk situation, like when you were down in, in Iraq, for example, is there like a, a line, a core belief that you're carrying with you all the time?
3: Yeah, I think there there are two general things that really inform this issue of of success and personal satisfaction and, and sense of accomplishment. Um, and in, in no particular order, the, 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 f- the first one that I'll just randomly pluck is this notion of transition. When you transition from being an individual contributor to being a leader, a lot of times when you make that transition and you're no longer actually doing the work, your sense of self-worth Really suffers, and it's the the example that I use is what I call the ditch digger story. If you're a ditch digger, um, and every day you dig 80 feet of perfect trench, and it's 18 inches wide and 24 inches deep, and it's perfectly according to the schematic, at the end of the day, when you're walking to your truck, you are wet, dirty, and tired, and your sense of of fulfillment, your sense of personal satisfaction, is related to how wet, dirty, and tired you are. The first day that you're a ditch digger supervisor and you're walking to your truck and you're not wet and you're not dirty and you're not that tired, viscerally you think you failed that day when really you look behind you and there's 800 feet of trench that was dug but it wasn't dug by you and so your gut is telling you that you failed and if you don't transition your visceral sense of success to something else, something other than being wet, dirty, and tired, you're going to fail as a leader. And what you're going to do is micromanage. You're going to be that on day two, you're going to show up a half hour early and dig some trench just so you can feel good. And everybody who shows up later is going to feel like they showed up late and the boss is showing us up. And so you're feeding your sense of self-worth as a ditch digger but you're putting your team in a meat grinder. And so what that ditch digger needs to do is understand my job is now to take the person that can dig the perfect curve and put them on the curve. Let them feel the sense of satisfaction for digging that curve. And me as the leader, I'm going to feel the sense of satisfaction for having given her that assignment.
2: Yeah.
3: But the guy, that's a great example. And, and, and so if you don't, know that you need to make that transition and you don't actively make that transition you're going to struggle with all the things that that sometimes experienced leaders struggle with you know micromanaging feeling like you know I do the work you know sales managers really struggle with this you're running the the southwestern sales region for a big company and you have a bunch of people that are doing sales calls but you're the best one so you go on all the big clients and the major clients what are you doing you're you know you're you're playing center forward and trying to coach the team at the same time and you're doing that not because you're better at one role or the other it's because you haven't transitioned your sense of self-worth so that's that's the first big thing that i i learned through this trajectory of 40 years and the other thing that i learned is if if we're talking about having transitioned that sense of self-worth and making sure that the people on our team have that good, solid sense of self-worth. Part of the thing that you do, it's not your job, but the thing that you do to be a good leader or to be a great leader is to put people where they're going to be successful. Well, how do you know that? Well, you have to really understand your people. You have to really focus on who each individual is so you know who's the best goalie and who's the best center forward and who's the best fullback. And there are some people who see understanding another person as really hard work and really difficult and why do I have to do this? Great leaders, I think, are fascinated by two things and they're fascinated by these things. They're fascinated by people and they're fascinated by the work being done. Think about the last time you were truly fascinated by something. A Rubik's cube or a puzzle or you know the 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 person that you wanted to date that was out of your reach. You you kept picking at that thing. You kept picking at it. You couldn't let it go. You didn't want to let it go until you figured it out. That's what fascination is. And that's what I think leadership is. It's outward facing. And if you think about, wow, if I'm in this team leader role or this executive role, and every day, all I want to do is pick apart what's going in that warehouse and understand the men and women that are driving those forklifts and pulling stuff down in that fulfillment center and making it go, I just want to understand the personalities and and figure them out. If you have that drive, you're going to be a great leader because you're going to see wow we don't we don't have a problem in the warehouse you know julie just needs to drive the forklift that's why she's happy and bob all he cares about is picking up the heaviest packages so let's put bob over here where all the heavy stuff is put julie in the forklift everybody's going to feel fulfillment and as the leader i'm going to feel fulfilled because look what i did i just gave everybody else that sense of fulfillment and that fulfills me. So when I go home at the end of the day and I'm talking to my wife, I can say, you know what? I had a great freaking day because I set Bob and Julie up to succeed. That's that's what I think leadership is. And there's a lot of technique that you need to learn. And that's why I, I developed the First Motion Transition training course for people who want to be fascinated and grind through this. And I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the, those are the two real things that everything that I think about in terms of leadership really hang on to.
2: I love it. I, I think that if you take them apart, they're important. When you put them together like you just did, it 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 gets to it's one of those things where one plus one equal five. Right? Yeah. You put those things together, you have an entire vision. So yeah. Sean, you did yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, lo- I love to start like this. So I know
1: so, <laughs> I'm so going to leave you talk <laughs> so many questions here and I'm um, trying to figure out how to how to take it where I want to go. The, I mean, you, you talked about the transition and I guess the first thing I want to touch on and forgive me as I put a few of them out here and maybe this will uh, set us up. But the first one is the transition. Uh, do I have to be a ditch digger to then lead ditch other diggers? Because do I need to know what they feel at the end of the day digging an 80-foot trench so that I can appreciate what they do and, and, and recognize that? Or I know we see it in sports. Um, can I be a coach, a.k.a. leader, having never really played, only led and coached? <laughs> or do I then have to rely on actual players who become leaders under my leadership, those that actually do play or have played. So the, there's that aspect of it. And and I'm wondering, as I'm talking about it, and as I was thinking about it, some guidelines. And it sounds like you've written some things. I've, I've written some programs when I was a leader for how to do certain things under best practice. And having guidelines kind of sets things up to succeed. But I'm wondering if if we set boundaries that or, or lines in the sand that then set us up to fail because they are too distinct or too concretely uh, defined. So two things there, definition of a program, uh, how flexible does it have to be? And do we actually have to experience a role in order to lead that role?
3: Yeah. And um, so I'll, uh, I'll take the, I'll take the, the, do you have to be a good player to be a good coach Uh, uh, question first? um, Because that sort of drives me into, you know, what was popular maybe 20 years ago, this notion of, or maybe even 30 years ago, this notion of cross training, you know, you want to, you want to take everybody on the team and have them do every other job in the team so that they can really understand um, what everybody else is going through so that they can work together better. and. I really think that's a mistake and I'll illustrate we, how we, I th- we hear about that a lot where yeah. the
1: stock analyst needs to do patching.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> so I, it, it reveals itself better. I think with a sports metaphor, you know, you have Tom Brady, he's a brilliant quarterback and he's been a brilliant quarterback for a ridiculously long amount of time. Do you think that he needs to play inside tackle? I mean, he, he works with inside tackles and outside tackles and nose tackles and wide receivers all day long. Does he need to play all those positions to know how to play with them? No, he, he doesn't. And, and I think the, the challenge we have in business is that generally we promote into the coach position the best player. And what we're doing to that person is we're saying, you're the best player, so go coach. Instead of you're the best player, keep playing. Um, and we we question the notion of, wow, this is, this is somebody who really understands the game and really understands people, but never played. And therefore, he can't possibly be good. And I think that if you take two steps back and look at the logic, we're saying the only way to work well with another person is if you've done their job. And that doesn't correlate. I would be really surprised if anybody could do a, a data correlation or a study that says a working relationships increase when both people have done the other person's job. Working relationships increase when both people are fascinated with the other and understand each other. I don't need to play with the center forward as a full, I don't need to play center forward if I'm a fullback. I just need to know where that guy is going to be to pass in the ball. I need to understand how he scores better so that I can make him succeed. But I'm I'm a fullback. I mean, I'm six foot one and 250 pounds. I'm not going to run around a soccer field all day like a 140-pound striker. I, I can't do it. And if you put me in that role, it's just going to frustrate me. But encourage me to learn what that person needs and Bang, all of a sudden he's succeeding and now I'm succeeding. And, you know, I'll take it even farther. You're saying that a person who sits in a wheelchair can't coach a basketball team. Of course not. What, what really correlates to success? Correlating, what correlates to success is ownership of the outcome. You know, what is your job as a basketball coach? Your job is to win games. There are things that you do to win games, but it's all about being fascinated with the game of basketball, being fascinated with um, uh, the, the people that are playing so that you can set them all up to win. You know, think of the, the best athletes in the world, Simone Biles. She's got coaches. Should she find coaches that are better than her at gymnastics? You know, can her coaches not help her because they can't do what she does? Of course not. It's the same in business. It's the same everywhere. Uh, Of course, the coach isn't going to be able to perform as the athlete. The coach needs to perform as the coach. Um, And so the the cross-training piece, the you have to have done it to understand it, I really don't think you can prove a correlation to uh, between having done the job and being successful managing people to do the job. And I'm sorry, Sean, I got all spun up on that issue and I've forgotten your second question, which I really didn't want to answer.
1: I know exactly. Well, no, it's tied to what you just ended with actually, which is, Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to make the connection for you. A coach is a coach is a coach and they have a coaching. I'll just say it in a book, (laughs) a model of coaching, Mm -hmm. right? There's, You do, I don't even know what it is uh, in, in gymnastics, but there are exercises you do. There's a routine you have. There's maybe 20 years ago, the nutritional part of the routine looks different than it does today. But I guess my point is there's a model for leading that athlete to great success. So does, I guess my question was, can, a, can anybody be a leader or a coach by following a guideline and, or do they need to bring some of their own elements and where does that, where, where, where mistakes made, where does success come when that mix comes together?
3: Yeah. And, and so I think the, the mistake that we make in the leadership industry um, is that, that we think behaviors correlate to performance, you know, here are, the, here are the 10 things that great leaders do. Here are the five things that great leaders avoid. Um, I'm an influence leader. I'm a charismatic leader. I'm a servant leader. Um, people don't follow you because you're a specific type of leader. Um, people don't even follow you because they like you. What I've found is people follow you if they know you like them, if they know that you value them, that you see who and what they are, that you appreciate what they're capable of, and that they, that, that you appreciate that they are doing what you need. And this is another one of the challenges of, of leadership. And it, it, it's best illustrated when you start thinking about the question, where does leadership start? Not what is leadership, that, that's a different question and should come later in the conversation. But where does, where does leadership start? You know, people think it starts the first time you get promoted. They think it starts, you know, lead from where you stand. You don't need a title to lead. And all that is true. But when, you know, what day do you wake up and need to engage in leadership behaviors? And I think it's the first day you run out of bandwidth. The first day you can't do it all yourself and you need help. You need someone else to do what you need them to do. And it doesn't matter if you're running the Southwestern sales region or you need your kid sister to help you clean your room. If you need her to not play with her dolls and help you pick up stuff, you need to inspire her to do what you need instead of what she needs. And that's leading. And the core component of that is when that person chooses to do what you need, they just helped you. If you're a normal person and someone helped you, you should feel gratitude. And if you feel gratitude, you should say thank you. And so the, the, the core thing that leaders recognize is I'm responsible for more than one human can possibly do. And so I need help. And if I'm getting people to help me, I should be grateful. And if I am grateful and I thank them and I say, wow, you're really good at that. And you did that for me. They're going to hear that I like them. And everybody feels good when they're appreciated and they're liked. And they will respond by sharing your intention for what needs to get done. I can't tell you how many times I saw a grizzled, grumpy old agents who were way past their eligibility to retire from the FBI who stayed on and they would always complain about the new guy from headquarters that's the squad supervisor and you know the the FNG right the fantastic new guy that was coming in to run the squad Um, and if that new squad supervisor came in and expressed gratitude for what these senior men and women were doing and acknowledged their remarkable skill. Those grumpy old guys wouldn't change their attitude. He's still a a new guy and he's still a punk kid and doesn't know what he's doing, but they would also do everything they were asked because they knew they were appreciated. Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain amount of maturity to need help and not feel like, well, I should be able to do it myself. I suck. I need help. no, you need help because you have a ton of things to do. You have a, a, a huge job that one person can't do. Express gratitude and acknowledge skill. And then the fascination comes. Understanding people. That's putting them where they're strong and then taking responsibility for the outcome. And I think if people do those four things... Express gratitude, acknowledge skill, put people where they're strong, and take responsibility for the outcome. If the game is won or lost, that's on you. That's not on the athletes. If they win, they're going to feel great. If they lose, they're going to feel bad. But it's on you as the coach either way. You do those four things tomorrow in your job, you will see everything around you change. You'll see it. Sorry, I get pretty excited when I'm talking about no, this. No, <laughs>
2: I I, I'm here thinking, okay, this is the redefining security channel, so we're going to have to talk about cybersecurity. And, yeah. the, and there is the other side of me that is like, I don't want to talk about that. That's <laughs> Sean is going to push me there. But actually, there, there is a connection here. And, and I know that in your upcoming book, which is not there yeah. yet, there will be a link to uh, your publishing um, agent and so forth for when it does happen, but... It is actually about the, ele- the human element in the new age of cybersecurity. Yeah. And I am connecting, and then I'm going to let you go, but with, with what you were about to say, but cybersecurity, security, military, FBI, uh, sports, a lot of pressure, right? I mean, we're talking about being a team leader where you have to make decision in a split second when there is a lot at stake. Sometimes it's lives, sometimes it's other important things, sometimes it's a lot of money, right? And yeah. data that you got to protect, and we go with cybersecurity there. I'm feeling like I'm connecting with you just can't lead with fear. Like People are not going to do it. they got to know that there is an ultimate goal, and that's you, being human, right? I mean, trusting you. Know that you're going somewhere, that you have a vision, and I'm, uh, you're, you're a leader. I'll follow you wherever you go. So translating all this into the cybersecurity world, and yeah. why did you decide to actually write a book? You could have written about anything else. Yeah. You wanted to put on cybersecurity the highlight.
3: Yeah, uh, and I think the the most critical issue in the cybersecurity world, not not even the IT world, the cybersecurity world, is, um, is the the notion that the answer to security in the cyber world is AI. That everything is mo- moving so fast that humans can't possibly respond quickly enough, and that the answer is AI. So we we the the assertion is, or the theory is, that we actually don't really need people to keep our IT systems safe. We just need better and better and better technology. And I think that anyone who believes that is very quickly going to understand how wrong they are. Um, my my partner is is called Lisa Garber. She's a cybersecurity um, professor, adjunct professor at Drexel. Uh, law in Philadelphia. She speaks on on Fox News fairly regularly about these issues. Um, and as we wrote the book, uh, you know, Can Trust Will Hiring for the Human Element in the New Age of Cybersecurity. Um, we actually interviewed across the industry, everything from academia to um, talent acquisition uh, people to CISOs of major infrastructure companies um and every single one of them said that technology is great but it's a fail um it's not the car it's the driver that matters you know and if you take the old military adage which would you what should you put your 100 bucks on the best pilot or the best plane everybody puts their money on the best pilot and why is that it's because the human element matters and when we're looking at cybersecurity teams. Um, what we see is not only do you need um, great teams, you need diverse teams. You need teams where everybody has different perspectives and different ways of thinking. And we're not, we're not talking about, you know, different skin color, different gender, different religions. We're talking about different optics. And if you, if you identify different ways of thinking, different ways of problem solving, different views of the of the challenges in keeping an electronic system safe, you're going to have all of that surface diversity, which, I mean, it's a moral imperative, but in cybersecurity, it's an operational imperative. And what we found over and over and over again, when we're talking to White Hat, penetration teams, the hardest systems to get in are not the AI systems. They are systems where you can't predict what the team is doing because the team has so many different thought processes and they're always picking the system apart. They're always doing something new and something different. And they're just sniffing around in their system because it's fascinating to them and it's interesting and Anytime they see anything that is different at all, they're going to pick it apart. The team matters. The only thing worse than uh, artificial intelligence is a uniform team. And it doesn't matter if you have all Ivy League graduates or all uh, West African thinkers or you know a, a bunch of uh, French females or a bunch of guys from Australia. If they're all thinking the same, They all solve the problem the same way you got groupthink and you are fragile and you are going to get penetrated. But if you have a a Frenchman and a lady from South Africa and another lady from um, Australia and some kid from, you know, Dubuque who has spent the last five years just playing with a computer in his parents' basement and you bring all of those people in and they're annoying each other and they're pointing out stuff that the other people have missed and they're, they care about the outcome more than they care about who has the good idea. That's going to be strong. And now who's the leader? The leader has to be somebody who understands I'm a ditch digger supervisor. I don't have to do this. I just have to make sure that everybody is in a role that, satisfies them and fulfills them. And I'm going to go to that kid and I'm going to say, you know, do you really think the senior guy has this wired? You know, what are you really worried about that you haven't talked to her about yet? Why don't you go talk to her about that? And then, you know, you, you go to the, the mid-level person and say, you know, have you really doubled down on this? Have you talked to the kid about this? Wh- why not? Well, just a kid. Well, just a kid, you know, Why not let him throw whatever he can at you and see what happens? That's now what the leader's doing. And you only do that if you are comfortable being uncomfortable. If you are comfortable in this running gun battle of conversation and problem solving, that's what makes a cybersecurity team strong. And too many people think, well, we we can't have all this argument and debate. There's one answer. And it's this, and we're going to bring in, you know, whatever the outside vendor is, and we're going to be fine. And we're going to make sure that we have our insurance paid up. So when we get penetrated and, you know, there's a bunch of damage, it's covered and that's okay. I, I kind of get that if it's credit cards, but what if it's critical infrastructure? You know, yeah. what if your job is to you know, keep the Eastern seaboard electrical grid running or the, the Western pipeline for, for, you know, gas, we're not on electrical cars yet. We still need gas. What happens then? Your insurance is going to save you. So you need diverse teams. You need diverse teams who can debate, not argue, debate. And you need fulfilled leaders who want to be in that environment, are triggering those conversations, and are moving this whole thing forward. You can't do that if you still care about writing a bunch of code. Writing a bunch of code is great, but if that's what makes you feel good, you're, you're not yet feeling good about leading that team and it, and it's critical. And so our, our book is about how to build those teams, how to identify who you actually need in your team so that when you're creating your hiring process, you can actually find and select for those people so that when you have this team, it's truly diverse and truly powerful. Um, and 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 actually protects you and then you need to have a succession of people who understand what leading is and are fascinated by the people on that team and really take ownership of protecting that company um, and and then bring the next person along in the next iteration but I I really I don't get scared of much but when people start talking about the solution being AI I, I <laughs> it, it's that that's not the answer. It You're really not going to
2: take yourself out of it, as uh, we like to say. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, it, that's I'm I'm stealing that, and I'm not paying you for it. You're not going <laughs> to yeah. take yourself I out of it. it. I stole it. I stole it from the from uh, somebody
2: in Holland, I believe. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, let's make it go around. Yeah. I, I think it's great.
3: Yeah, we uh, we had a great conversation with a guy called Paul Maurer. He is the uh, president of Montreat College, uh, in. North Carolina or South Carolina. I'm sorry, Paul, I should know this, but (laughs) they, they have the Carolina cyber center and, and they are absolutely at the leading edge of training people for the industry. They recognize that, you know, going and getting even a two year degree puts you behind because by the time you've taken the classes, everything has developed so much farther forward, but he's the one who really solidified for us, uh, uh, for Lisa and I, that the, the answer isn't anything other than people, and and that's a beautiful thing because we're doing this for people. Yep. It's always about people. Um, yep. And well, let's talk about one person. In, is in, wonderful. In, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> yeah. one
1: person in, in particular, Scott yourself. Sure. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the CISO. <laughs> the CISO. So I mean, you described a, a situation where. I think most leaders probably want to show that they are managing their team, everything's running smoothly. I'm I'm uh, responding to 10,000 alerts every day. I patch these 80 systems today. And so let's talk about the so there's the reality that if if you want a good team, you have to have that un- those uncomfortable Moments where things may not appear to be good, but it's necessary to have those conversations, disagreements, so you can land on the right thing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the press conference now using the uh, the sports analogy still. The quarterly or preferably monthly, maybe even better, weekly meetings with executive staff where that's the press conference. Here's what's going on. How does a leader translate how their team is doing to the rest of the organization so that the organization knows that that team is doing what it's chartered with?
3: Yeah, that, that is a really interesting question. Um, And it really, it really challenges the security mindset. Um, And coming out of government, um, one of the, one of the challenges of coming out of government is if, particularly if you're a, a senior executive coming out of government and you've been involved in the budget process, you think you understand the budget process. And when you know when Congress gives you a pile of money and tells you how to spend it and you spend it according to those rules, that, that's not a budget process. That, that's a spend. And you come now into the commercial world where you know there is a balance sheet and there is income and there's spend. Um, and you need to keep, the the company safe and a lot of the attitude is well you can't put a price on safety and you can't price the future event so you know we need rg soc we we need 15 more people to keep everybody safe and when you're when you're going into that conversation with senior executives and particularly when you're going into conversation with the finance officer whether it's the chief finance officer or the person in the cfo's office that the security um, meeting has been delegated to Um, if you go in and you talk about safety and you talk about how cost doesn't matter because we need to keep people safe you are not going to get a hearing it's like you know Again, I keep harping on the French, but it's what comes to mind. It's like, you know, going to France and sitting down in a restaurant and shouting English at them. You're you're not going to get a great reception. You know, you're going to be the ugly American and they're going to bring you a glass of water and and wait for you to leave the restaurant. And a lot of security personnel get truly frustrated that these finance guys don't understand safety. And and here's the bottom line and we actually have a chapter can trust will on this because it's so important the the job of security is keeping people safe but fundamentally the job of security is to save the company money and everything that your security organization does should be a profit center it should be we have this program that keeps us from being sued it reduces our risk of being sued and the reason it reduces our risk of being sued is because it's keeping us safe it's keeping people from being injured it's keeping data from from uh leaking and it's keeping people from being hit when they cross the street and here's what we expect the next year to cost us if we don't have this program and here's what we expect If we do have this program and the savings is more than this program costs. And when you're a security guy, you don't understand that you can predict future events. It's how they figure out the insurance premium for your car or for your house. That's what actuaries do. They give a present cost for the possibility of a future event. So the success of that conversation begins with Coming into that conversation every single time by saying, you know, sir, ma'am, I'm here to show you the five ways that I can save this company money. I'm going to do it by keeping people safe. But the bottom line is I'm going to save you money. And by the fourth or fifth time you do that, they want that meeting because you now have become a cost savings. You're almost a profit center instead of what usually happens, which is, uh, you know, who's going to get the short straw to meet with the security guy? All those guys want to do is spend money. Um, and it's it's not difficult if you come to this with a finance brain. It's very difficult if you come to it with a security brain. And that's that's the relearning piece. And that's, again, why we say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're a security person, you're never really gonna love the numbers the way the finance person does, but you need to be able to swim in that pool um, because if you can't speak the finance language, you're gonna continue to be frustrated that you don't get a hearing. And you know, and, and that's the reality.
2: Scott, I, I think I wanna close the circle here Yeah, where we started and the flag with food with food of course that's going to be the end of it (laughs) if you're involved in the conversation it's going to end up with food well we also talk (laughs) about french restaurants so we we can tie with that but the point is even in the restaurant industry i mean for what for for what i'm thinking is worth it in every industry again you you are a leader of a team but you also have as you just said you have to interact with other teams you can't, you're not just in a bubble in a solace. So you need to have the knowledge of everything that happened underneath you, or by underneath, I mean what is that you're controlling, not a, a level. Yeah. And you also need to be involved with other leaders that do the same thing with other teams, but then. It's not a monster with so many different heads that everybody Hmm. goes in different direction. It belongs to the same body, right? I'm going mythological here. But if you don't agree with the other, if you don't understand what the other head is doing, you're going to hit the wall all the time. And so the the reason why I say we need to kind of, we can close the circle here is because you become a leader by learning something. You may not be the better player, but you're going to be the better coach, and there are perfect stories of the best soccer player in the world that they couldn't coach. Yeah, I, I can tell you that, and I'm sure it applies <laughs> to football, uh, to American football, and any other sport. And and it applies to business as well. So I think that the vision, the 360 vision of knowing a little bit of everything, and then having, you know, having a blueprint in your head about how you're motivating people, knowing that you're not going to do. It, you're not going to be the one who does everything. <laughs> you need yeah. to connect the dots. So that's my kind of very visual in my thinking. So I, I can see this leader being in the middle of a network of many other leaders, and they all need to work together. Does this make sense to you?
3: I, absolutely, absolutely. And remember. Leadership is outward facing. It's not inward facing. Right. Self-development is inward facing, and that's really important, but it's not a good foundation for leadership because leadership is about everybody else. And you're right. It's not just about the people that are helping you below you or on your team. Leaders are fascinated by two things. They're fascinated by people. People and by the work being done. And what you're describing is that 360 fascination. I need to be fascinated by who the CFO is and how the CFO's work fits into the company. I don't just sit in my G sock. I am a part of this company, whatever it is, an energy company, a widget company. And to be a truly outstanding leader, I need to be fascinated by that whole thing and pick that apart and understand that I'm not going to be the best at doing all this stuff. But if I stay fascinated and I stay picking at it and you know, the person that annoys me most, if I can pick that person apart, I don't have to like them to understand them. And if I understand them, I will probably end up liking them unless I'm just not human. So the 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 fundamental key, the unifying thing for for what we do out of Glenhaven International and and our approach really is expressed in this fascination. Fascination with people, fascination with work being done. Everything else tumbles from that. And and your description it absolutely links to, to our way of thinking and our mindset. And and I really appreciate you articulating it that way. It's fantastic. Really is great. Sean, yeah. did, did, did I satisfy you at all? Not at all. If
1: you
2: don't bring food, it's not going
1: to We're going to have to start this <laughs> over from the beginning, <laughs> and I'm going to start it off with food. Uh, no, but I'm... I'm your it, guy. I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, I mean, it, it takes someone special to be a leader, and I, I love this word, fascination. I know uh, everybody's heard it a few times now in the conversation, but it to me, I mean, I, I get excited about certain things, and and when I see something work, that that's, it's fulfilling, right? Whether it's yeah technology, whether it's something else happening, whether it's Markwood completing something, when when stuff comes together, that's exciting. That's fascinating that things happen together. We were able to pull it all together and produce something hopefully that people enjoy, and yeah, I, I think. The, there are moments of discomfort as a leader, right? And then I think this is the other point that I really really caught on here is that it's not always smooth sailing. And we didn't even get into the, the being a leader during good times, being a leader during troubling times, being the leader uh, because you've been asked to and you're not really the leader. There's a lot of different scenarios we can get into, but I, I think sure it's not always smooth sailing and embracing those discomforts. And recognizing that those are there for a reason to help you power through them to get to the end goal and staying focused on the goal of what the business is about and you, you said it very clearly Scott it's about the value of security of the business protecting revenue protecting information and and really driving the value up so not a cost center but a bit a value and yeah i'm excited to learn more about the book as it comes out and hopefully others will will uh, find it fascinating as well and scott i want to thank you for taking the time to share your story with us and a lot of the great work you've been doing to uh, define what a what a fulfilled leader looks like sounds like acts like smells like
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i uh uh yeah, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate the, the thoughtful questions. Um, this, is, this has been wonderful. So thank awesome. you. Thank you both.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Absolutely. So good luck like with the book. Fantastic. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk soon again.
1: There'll be, there'll be links in the resources uh, yep. for some of the things we discussed today. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Redefining Security.
0: Purpose built for securing Active Directory, SimParis delivers first of its kind solutions to address the entire lifecycle of a directory attack, finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at simparis.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think,